Never gonna give you up. <laughs> never gonna let you down. Never gonna oh. run around and desert you. This is Sam. This is Paul. This is Iman. This is David. And this is South Paul. Hey, and one more thing: if you love the show and want to support us, go to Patreon.com/southpawpod. Today on the podcast, we have David Christian, aka the modern martial artist, and I think he set the record for being our most recurring guest. And also today we have Iman Rashid, aka Vlashri, who is also a recurring guest. So you will not take on my title. <laughs> okay, well, it's not a competition. Everything's a competition. If it was, you'd be winning. So you know, whatever. <laughs> exactly. So. We brought you guys on to talk about Mike Tyson, but in our last conversation with Iman, where we were discussing the finer points of anime and manga and subs and dubs, he was mentioning that he was working with David on a comic book slash graphic novel. Correct. Let's talk about it. Where are you guys at now on the project? Uh, I'd say about 80% done. Yeah. Um, it's been like a real trial trying to figure out how to do everything because, uh, he's drawn for a long time, but I've never written a comic before. And I kind of wrote it like it was a movie script. So we had to kind of tighten things here and there and put like a lot more information, but it's turning out really beautiful. His drawings are insane. Like when you, someone kicks someone in the head, like you see the impact, um, bitch, (laughs) thank you. Last time you were here, David we had talked about how your film background and all that was even helping you with YouTube. And now it's come full circle and you're using that script writing background and thinking of things in like this storyline visual way. And it's come together in combination with Iman to create the ultimate comic book. It's kind of the perfect storm because uh, he has been doing like uh, fight stunts and he does all these crazy tricking stuff and he does choreography so he's actually pretty natural at drawing the panels himself. I'm laying it out like it's a script and I have a vision in my head. I tell him the vision and then he writes it out and he'll add things that just make it like a million times better. Like he's a director of photography, pretty much. Um, this one part, the main character is talking about what it's like to fight. Like it, to him, it feels like time slows down and everything just becomes clear and he has a purpose. And you, you guys know how it is when you're sparring and you hit like that perfect kind of rhythm and, and moment. And then he just made the images like negative, like um, he did uh, like a black background with like white lines um, and only showed like certain parts, like the close up of an eye or the close up of a fist. And looking at it, I'm like, that's what it feels like. So um, I'll take some of the credit for it. But he's honestly just naturally really good himself. And one thing that was interesting, too, is like you like the way he did write it was like it was like a script from a movie. So um, and I, I did a lot of storyboarding back like back in uh, I still do. So the parts that are like really movie-ish, uh, I made it to look like a movie. And then you and I are both were like, wait, we got to think what would like a, like w- this would be make more sense because it's a comic book. So we had to both like adjust on our part. It was really interesting. But uh, we did the whole ethereal thing with the, with the like explaining what it feels like to fight and like everything turns like black and it's like kind of like he like in his mind kind of thing. 
It's kind of cool. Like quantum metaphysics. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you guys have both enjoyed comic books, but the way you guys both think about it is in a more cinematic way. And then that helps you in creation of this comic book. Exactly. And it may be because of that, it has a different look than other comic books. So for those of you listening, David was gracious enough to send us some samples of where they are now. And the artwork is amazing. And, and the storyline of the script, it really, I was like, oh, okay, this is the kind of stuff that the modern martial artist would make. And it's always kind of like a story that I think every martial artist who likes writing stories wanted to make where it's like, damn, okay. When somebody makes a martial arts movie or, or a TV show or whatever, they have a story. Great. But the finer points of strategy and technique, they never seem like they know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> and then they rely on the stunt coordinator to just make it look cool. And it's like, everybody always wish, man, I wish I could write something where I, I, we could get more into the details on the technique. And, <laughs> and this, reading the script that David came up with is kind of every martial arts nerd who likes comic books. It's their uh, fever dream. It's like, oh, this is the comic book that I always wanted to get into the nitty gritty on the techniques. Yeah, it's 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 the best one. Like, I don't know, like we're pretty on the same page when it comes to a lot of like cinematic or even like, you know, martial arts stuff. So I think it does really help when like the director and whoever is making it and whoever the coordinator is kind of like have an understanding, because sometimes I feel like the director is like, I want this cool, like blowing up ninja shit. And then the guy's like, like, are you like, we're going to get hurt. Like, are you are you kidding me right now? And like, he's like, I don't care. It's cool. And like, it, there's like there's movies like I don't know how much I'm allowed to bash on movies, but uh, have you guys seen Man with the Iron Fist? Bash on all the movies. No, we haven't. <laughs> it's like, um. I feel like the director was just like, yeah, I want the coolest martial arts like um, aesthetic ever. And then none of it makes sense. It's like people are flying like sideways all of a sudden, um, but like not in a way where it works, not like a Chinese movie where like everything's like crafted together. Right. It's just like it's just like random. Exactly. I wanted something that wasn't random at all. I wanted the story to actually be incorporated kind of I wanted the techniques to be incorporated into the story kind of like if anyone's ever seen like um, any of the fight breakdowns I do like the Muhammad Ali versus Frazier kind of thing you could build a story off of the techniques and and, and like they're they aren't separate if a fighter's doing a certain kind of technique there's some kind of emotion usually involved with that too if they're being super aggressive it's probably because they're either desperate or maybe they just think they're winning and they don't respect the guy so what changes? When the guy all of a sudden like catches him, he catches the confident guy, you know, um, like uh, like Douglas with uh, with Tyson. Um, it's it, what happens when all of a sudden you're getting owned and you were confident before. Then your techniques change, and then you have that whole other story of like, well, how do you adjust to that? Um, so I wanted to to make something that was kind of uh, the the technique was in the front and it was real martial arts, but I wanted the background of the story, like the characters and the plot to kind of be like old school Kung Fu, like Enter the Dragon or Shaw Brothers kind of a thing. So you get like some of the like mysticism stuff, uh, martial arts stuff, and some of the philosophy, but none of it affects the fights. That's what's really important to me. Like you're not going to see any like chi blasts or anything. That's another thing is that how many times have you guys seen the movie um, where the white guy goes to Japan or China or Thailand or wherever the hell the white guy goes and then just beats up all the like local fighters who've been doing it forever. So I thought it'd be fun to just have a Japanese guy go and uh, and to ch like England during the 1700s 
and uh and just you know kick their ass in boxing for a little bit and go against all their chap all their champions because you haven't really seen that story too often before and how how does a karate guy adjust this is so catering to like my like my hatred of like the whitewashing and like the asian movie things <laughs> like the great why is matt damon in china it makes no sense so the techniques drive the plot and the other thing is to iman's point about whitewashing actually i wanted to touch upon that because i think part of the reason why american moviegoers don't like wireworks in movies is because the way they've done it in hollywood is bad wireworks and so they just think wireworks are bad instead of doing it in a way that makes sense. Like your point about, what is it, Man with Iron oh, Fist? Oh, Man with Iron Fist. Wireworks is a way that just like kind of enhances gravity or enhances the momentum. But the way you've seen it, now they're sick of it, so they don't do it so much. But in, back in the day, they would pull them in wires in a direction that doesn't make sense to gravity or the momentum of the technique. And so you're just like, this is terrible. Yeah, 100%. So this is more coming than from the perspective of the martial artist. It's not even like from the outsider, the white guy going into the land of martial arts. I'm going to learn It's from the martial artist going out into the non-martial arts world, trying to learn how to fight and also written from two martial artists perspectives. So the aesthetic and also the way the story is delivered is done with a, with a respect to martial arts yeah. and putting that at the forefront. Yeah, it shows it definitely shows respect to boxing too. Um like if you encounter a style you're not used to, especially if if like you're uh like in the beginning fight, uh the main character Date is used to being able to kick. Uh but because he's, you know, full martial arts, he he grew up as uh as a samurai. But that so when he can't kick and um he's he's at a totally different range, he's boxing and uh and he's used to throwing these straight punches that work way better with kicks. But this guy's bobbing and weaving and throwing like these hooking punches. Uh, it, at first, it doesn't work out too well for him. So uh, throughout the series, this is just the first chapter. Throughout the series, I definitely want um, to explore what different styles are good at. And then eventually have him kind of develop his own thing. Is this a graphic novel or is it a comic book? It's going to be uh, each one's going to be about 100 pages. So we're calling it a graphic novel just because it's so long. Um, we may eventually combine them, though. Um, like, you could buy one, you could buy two, you could buy one and two. Right now, we're just really focusing hard on this one. I have a concrete plan for the series, and I know exactly where it's going. What I like about it, too, is, like, it starts with, like, a main character, Date. Like, he knows, like, uh, <laughs> style karate. Um, it, it's, like, it's like whatever traditional martial arts they're learning, right? Um, and then, like, he gets his, like, butt handed to him by, uh, like, you know, like, the, the boxing guys, which is cool. And, like... Um, cause like, there's like this different rule set. So like, in a way, like, I like how it's maybe, I don't know if this is uh, what David meant to convey, but it, in a way it's like, uh, yeah, like you start off with like your basics and then like he like masters those basics and then now he's learning new things, but it's, it's, it's like, you know, you hear that and you're like, well, no, duh, like, of, of, of course, you know, but like, it just, it, it teaches that lesson through this, uh, graphic novel, I guess. And that's, that's what I find really cool about it. And we talk about it all the time, like. Uh, or even the last pod we're on, we're talking about how like a lot of those Korean fighters are like really good with their basics, but then they kind of don't go past it. So this is like this guy going past his own basics in a way. Yeah, I always see these stereotypical shows where 
the person just goes and he like masters one style in a day and he moves like I've seen that before like so so and so starts in this style and then like street fighter he like moves from this to this one or but he doesn't even really learn the other styles he just learns how to counter them in like one fight which I always thought was really disrespectful to the to the styles so I wanted something where he could move from country to country from different time period to different time period, actually, which is, uh, I won't get in too, too much into that, but it's like the main plot and kind of where the mysticism that it doesn't influence the fights, but it definitely influences his ability to be able to go from country to country and learn different styles over a long period of time. Um, cause he's almost kind of cursed in a way, uh, you'll find out. So he has to beat the people in their own style. He'll have fights along the way. Um, like eventually he'll get into a bar fight in England and he'll just be able to like kick the shit out of a bunch of boxers in the bar fight. That'll be cool. But in order to he has to compete in the established style of that system. So you'll learn you're learning different styles with him as you go through and it's showing respect to each and every one of them. So why don't we just actually talk about what it is? What's it called and go into what it's actually about? Mortal Weapons, and it's basically just about that. It's it's about a fighter who's going to go from time period to time period from place to place, learning different styles at pretty much their creation or the moment of their origin and have to master those styles. Uh, at the same time, uh, not to spoil it too much, he has someone he has to save. Um, there's a lot uh, going on with, with the character. He has to make some very uh, morally difficult decisions about how exactly he's going to proceed with it. Um, and it kind of explores the morality uh, of violence, which is a huge um, issue for me as a martial artist because when you get right down to it you're learning how to hurt someone so you need to know why you're learning how to hurt someone uh, If it, maybe it's just because you want to um, have something to compete at and you don't really want to learn how to hurt someone you just want to be able to do it if you you know uh, if it were necessary it's like a game to you like a game of tag maybe it's because you you uh, for some people it's very personal they felt like um, they were weak or they were helpless uh, and so they're learning to hurt someone in case they learn to hurt them. So it explores that a little bit too. Um, but mainly it's about punchy and kicky stuff. So <laughs> From the stuff I saw, and for those of you who are considering getting this book, it's not just about entertainment, but you will actually learn not just techniques about, I don't know, an uppercut or a straight punch, but also strategy in a fight that David covers a lot in his YouTube videos. It's educational. <laughs> no, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make something where the because I always see it the opposite way. I always see it the opposite way where the the magic the magic doesn't influence the plot. The magic doesn't influence the characters. It doesn't influence their emotions. It's totally good for them. It just influences the fights. I wanted something where the fights were realistic and the magic just fucks the guy over and uh, and forces him to make difficult decisions and is basically a curse on him and doesn't influence the fights at all. So it combines the realism of, let's say, mixed martial arts mm -hmm. with the fantastical parts of comic books and manga that we're already used to. But you're doing it in a way where you're approaching that kind of formula in the inverse. Where yeah. Normally, the fight is all magical and like they do all this crazy shit. And then the rest of the day, they're like a high schooler. Yeah. You're doing it the other way where that regular life stuff, that's when you're exploring this universe, this magical universe that you've created. But the fight is more stuff that we're used to as martial arts, combat sports fans. Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, what's, what's the name? Uh, di dis not dissociation. Um, deconstruction. 
Yeah, it's like a deconstruction. I was of the right genre. about to say that. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like um, what is it in a? You guys ever you guys play video games a lot? You guys ever play Breath of the Wild, the Zelda game? So like in the game, it's like it's kind of like Breath of the Wild is like opposite of how I'm not gonna spoil anything about it, but like it's um it works opposite of how normal video games work. Like other video games is like it's like you wake up and it's like you have to go on an adventure, do exactly what I say, and then you do it because like that's like the fun of the game, right? For this one, it's like you wake up and then like you kind of do whatever you want. But like whatever you do influences like it encourages you to do more things. So it's like, you know, like if there's a giant mountain in the other Zelda games, it'd be like, oh, you can't go up this mountain yet because you don't have this thing that you got to get. Um, and you're like, dude, like, what the heck? Like, I want to go up the mountain. Like, that's what I want to do. I'm playing a video game. But in this one, you can just go up the mountain. And if you're going up the mountain and you die halfway because you weren't ready, it'll like it'll like encourage you to be like, OK, now I want to be ready because I just died. So like you'll go and you'll get like items and this kind of stuff. And so like you can essentially you can essentially do whatever you want um, and it affects the gameplay so that it kind of like is the same way in like mortal weapons where like uh you know like he was talking about how david's talking about how like uh there's like all these magic systems and then uh you know people will like fight each other on magic systems and get stronger and then the rest of the day they're like uh, the world has really nothing to do with that magic system um this one it's like it's it's kind of in a sense where like the fights actually mean something to like everything else outside of the like the fight is like the only realistic thing well not the only realistic thing about it but like the fight is like the most realistic thing about it and then like whether or not based on that fight he wins or loses it kind of affects like the rest of how his day is going to go on you know so it's not just like fight and then like oh now they have to i don't know like decorate their rooms it's like they actually have to like he won the fight so that allows him to make like a new choice or something about like where it's going to go next no, you're right, because Breath of the Wild makes things that are normally in Zelda games helpful more of a burden. And it's the same here. Like, the the magic system, if you want to call it that, is is a burden. It's something he has to deal with. It's, yeah. it's a curse. And then the ordinary stuff is is the things that, yeah. No, you got it right. Thanks, man. <laughs> so, Iman, let me ask you then. What kind of aesthetic did you want to bring to this comic book? Well, um... It starts out like in a, you know, like a, in Japan, like from the origin, like in Japan. And um, I, I do very much like uh, old, like Sengoku era, like Japan stuff, you know, grow, growing up in Japan and everything. So um, base, I mean, I'll just kind of tell how it happened. He's, he had me read the script because he checked out a lot of like my comic stuff that like I just do for fun. Um, and uh, he was like, yeah, I really like your style. So uh, he sent me the script and I read the script and like, it just like clicked, you know, like the story was really good. And like, I really liked the characters and like, and um, I was like invested in the script. Like you, I don't like reading. I, I don't know. That's like, that's, that's like, I'm allowed to say, I don't like reading books or like, I don't like reading things. Um, I like pictures and like movies. Uh, but as an artist, is there any artwork like animation or comic books or anime that influences you in your art? Okay. Um, Oh, geez, that's kind of a big question because I love I, I love manga. Um, is a lot of your influence then more from the Japanese manga? Oh, that totally. Kind of stuff? Yeah. More than American comic books? Yeah, because I think like uh, when you think about it, uh, this is just my theory, but like I think Asian people in general are like we're more like crafty people. Like we love doing the craft, you know, and like um, using our skills and stuff. So when I read like Japanese manga, they kind of like I, I think they, they kind of use that more. Um, they, they try to use the craft of the manga to kind of convey a certain message to you, whether it be like, you know, slowing down time and having the characters like talk for like, they can talk at light speed. Like I'm about to punch you in the face and there's nothing you can do. Um, whereas opposed to like American comics are like, you know, they look a lot more gritty in, in some sense, um, just cause of the style. And like, I think they kind of focus more on, um, 
like what they want to convey to you just through like the story because uh, it was hard for me at first to get into american comics uh when i was younger because like the art's still really good but um uh I, I still felt like i was like i had to read and connect what they were saying to like what was going on on the page and like uh oh, okay he's talking about this so uh you know on this panel um so it still felt like i was reading a book you know uh whereas in like the japanese ones i feel like the, the it's all like flows together like uh, especially like um like akira toriyama the when he draws dragon ball like i it, like the page flow like just it just takes my eye through it and i i understand what's going on so um yeah i guess in a sense like uh i i do like the 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 craft and like the the feel of like japanese manga um because it's like just more entertaining in my opinion and just a little bit more like streamlined and kind of like uh cool because i used to animate a lot I, I wanted to be an animator before uh being a martial artist and then i sat down and i animated for eight hours and then i wanted to kill myself so i went on to not doing that but um yeah just like the movements and like the force behind like japanese comics is just what i kind of uh, like more of but i like the more like modern realistic looking characters of like the american comics where like you know if i if you showed anyone who doesn't read manga like a page of dragon ball they're gonna be like what is this like kids cartoon like i don't like this so kind of in a sense like i want to combine the two i kind of like um you guys know yusuke murata he 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 redrew a uh, one punch man into the manga that it is now like in like like his style is like borderline japanese manga borderline like american comic style like it's like really blended uh kind of well together so something like that you know is kind of like really influencing for me so for you you drew inspiration from just the american style illustrations but as far as page flow and just kind of how the story moves through the pages and through the scenes you took that more from manga and definitely the movement, right? Yeah, the movement. And also definitely, I think the character designs too. Like I, I, he and I were talking about it when I was first drawing like the first couple of pages, it was way more like anime cartoony looking. And I had to kind of like learn to adjust and draw more like uh, realistic looking characters like American comics. Um, but I still want it to. So like in a sense, like they kind of look like American comic characters with the with the flow of like the Japanese manga because um this always pissed me off about uh, manga and anime, which is those huge, annoying ass mouths, and <laughs> like, like they be, they fill up the person's entire head, and you usually th- see that expression when there's an annoying voice going on. That's that's like I can. That's what turned me off of anime for so long. Yeah, it looks really, like it looks like cartoony, like no, like no, like not that. It's, right? it's that with the mix of the annoying humor that they think is funny yeah. and is clearly not. And I, I know. <laughs> I know America has annoying humor too, like with the canned sitcom laughter, and I'm sure that a lot of Japanese people must feel the same way about the annoying loud character that goes like, I don't really believe it. My mom is so poor, she walks down the road with one shoe. And I don't like you anyway, so there. Hmm. I call it the uh face. Yeah, but that that turned me off of anime for so long. So that that could not in any way be in our comic. I just couldn't let it happen. Oh, I, that that would be terrible in our comic. <laughs> like, um, what is it? A good example is that Avatar: The Last Airbender. Like, I think even when it first came, like, came out, people were still kind of like a little bit weirded out that it looked like an anime. Like, but um, I mean, once in a while they get cartoony, like they they show like a funny face. But they, I think they the the reactions that get more laugh are like the more realistic looking faces when they like get upset and then like you know like Sokka gets hit by a 
like another rock and then his face is like just like just so disgruntled you know so immortal weapons is there levity is there some humor is it very serious oh yeah yeah yeah, there's humor so when do you guys think this will all come out uh september it's up for pre-sale right now on barnes and noble for the paperback and uh for on amazon for digital you guys want to know the comedy formula in naruto what is it it's a, it's a, it, the comedy for the only comedy formula in Naruto that Masashi does. And I love Naruto, but like the only comedy formula is, um, Sakura gets mad at Naruto and then she's like, Naruto, you, you back ahead. And he's like, no, please, Sakura-chan, I love you. Uh. And then she like beats him up, um, despite him being the strongest person in the village. Um, and then everyone around them is like, oh, this is so silly. Ha ha. And that they use that like 50 times. And I'm like, dude, that's not funny. You forgot the part. I'm, I haven't watched it that much because I couldn't stand their voices. But you forgot the part, I'm guessing, where she punches him so hard he flies into the goddamn atmosphere. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's like slapstick. Slap, slapstick is, I think, funnier when the... When the <laughs> have you guys watched Last Man? There's like a scene where like the guy, uh, the main character... He's a bodyguard of a who is going to meet with a, an arranged marriage. And so they're riding on the motorcycle and kicks the mirror off the cop car. And then so he pulls them over and the guy's like, oh, I'm so sorry, officers. It was a misunderstanding. And they're like, shut the start beating up the guy. And the they're like, shut the start beating up the like on the ground. And see, see how you start laughing? Like you don't expect it. Like it's funnier because you expect the it's in France. So I guess I don't know, like different culture. But they start like this it was like it was really funny i didn't think it would be this quick that we'd have our first online controversy <laughs> no, I, it's, i'm expecting I protesters I now for anyone to get like if you know slapstick in in like the fictional world is like it's 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 uh, is it is it not like i don't know it made me laugh though. the large youtube channel modern martial artist is being protested online <laughs> spread going cut, viral if you, you want to cut this out you can cut this out but like it was funny to me his whole thing when he first came out was that he was not going to curse Oh, I totally forgot. <laughs> I totally That's forgot. actually why I was laughing. He not only got into cursing and now he's just he's talking, talking about, about laughing his ass off. This is not the same guy that came no, in the I, first time around. I, I, what I will your students not. think? Iman is complex. Gonna, I hope hopefully they're not even listening to this because like you should, you should hear the shit he normally says, guys. Jesus. Oh my god. Jesus. Yeah, I was pretty, I'll, I'll be honest, I was pretty tame on your first podcast because I, I was like. I had to put in those fake beeps just to make it seem like, <laughs> just like he was cursing. I, I was pretty tame because like, I, went the, I love those fake beeps. I'm just going to do a long beep during that whole story. You even beeped like parts that like uh, you Paul put it, was talking. You put it for, in like, front of a nationality. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. It was some nationality you beeped and I'm like, what did he call them? None of the beeps were actually any cursing. It was just random words that I picked. It, exactly. You even like beeped him out and he didn't even say any bad words. <laughs> he could have just said shirt. <laughs> there was part where like, I'm obviously saying one word, yeah. but you beep the middle out. And it's like, that wasn't even a bad word. Like the listeners can tell. No, I wanted them to guess like, what could he have said in between those? <laughs> I really love the people. <laughs> I think they're really people i'm like what the right. hell in any case, yeah, I, was, I was pretty tame on your first podcast because i was like i don't want to say anything i shouldn't or like this and that and then like i don't know i, I guess i'm just like i'm letting loose now maybe, maybe it's because he's here i don't know <laughs> he's like, drunk I know he's, he's drunk be. i don't know <laughs> i don't know this will be one long beep let's do it now that we have all of you guys here right we got the whole peanut gallery here mike tyson Mike Tyson's a topic that people often ask about because he's so legendary and people always just 
I think casual fans of combat sports and boxing always just list him as who they perceive as the best boxer of all time. Can I start off with a question about him that I want to know your guys' opinion? So there's like a lot, there's like always that meme going around that says like, would you take a punch from Mike Tyson for like $10 million? Um, would you guys? Yeah. You would? Yeah. From Mike, like from Mike, like a, a, no guarding. Yeah. Like just straight to the face. Yeah. I, I, I don't even want to joke about that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. I would if I could keep my guard up, but I don't think the, the damage would be worth $10 million because you're looking at like broken orbital bone, dislocated jaw, possibly you go unconscious and crack your head on the floor. Dude, he punches so hard. No way in hell. I have more follow-up questions. Is it Prime Tyson? <laughs> is it Tyson now? Ooh, am I in a ring? See, am I on the streets? Like, that's, that's the thing is like this has been like a debate that like I've had with at least like David and other people for a while. Because some people who don't like even know like the martial arts world, like been in a fight people who've like, never been punched. Yeah, they're like, oh yeah, for ten million dollars, I'd like f anybody or like whatever, right? And I'm like, no, dude, I'm gonna spend half of those ten million dollars like reconstructing my face, and the other for. Larry Holmes had an interview about Mike Tyson where they asked him, "Is he the most painful puncher you've ever faced?" And he said, "Actually, the opposite. He's the least painful because he's so precise. I didn't feel anything. I was out, and then I was waking up." He hit so hard, right, that you were just instantly out. Now, if he had to hit you five times to put you away because it wasn't hard enough each time, then you can really, like, start doing some damage. He just does a, what they call a clean KO. Just They're probably too scared to report it. <laughs> He's like, you tell anybody I'm going to punch you again. Because the way he comes in, too, like his signature punch, right, which is what, something I was going to get into, but a lot of times it's the hook, and it just swivels their head. And then they're just out. It's, it, it, he hits that nerve and you're out. So I'm pricing that in. If you ask me somebody else, like I know who punches in the eye socket you are or something. A, you are a father, sir. You are a new father. You could not million, that's taking, why. Think about Gilmore. Yeah, think about the college you could send. Yeah, you know what? He's got the heart of a father. The heart of a father. <laughs> I still want that question prime, answered. Is prime it Prime Tyson? Okay, let's, let's, well, let's just yeah, think, think about Prime that. Tyson in the ring. Can I wear my mouth guard or no? I just no, have to take no it. No mouth guard. No you mouth just guard? have to take it. Okay, just no take mouth it. Guard, I guess. Take it. Yeah, I do it. Ten million in the yeah. ring. Yeah, I do it. I wouldn't take it from Deontay Wilder because his knockout punch is a right straight. That could just crush my. You need to be in a burrito suit. It's a hook <laughs> versus a straight punch, right? For for those in the audience who don't know about this, uh, they invited Deontay Wilder onto a uh, news program in Mexico and asked him to hit a poor bastard in a burrito suit dressed as a giant burrito. Uh, and he assumed that the guy had padding on of some kind, maybe Ooh. a helmet under the suit. The guy just had a flimsy burrito <laughs> oh suit my on. God. And he punched him, knocked him out, and he fell against a, a hard floor. And the guy suffered like a lot of medical damage, which Dante then like partially paid for because he's really a nice guy when he's not knocked <laughs> Partially. Not, partially. Not, <laughs> there was a lot of damage. Partially. There was a lot of damage. David, how good was Mike Tyson in his prime, in your opinion? In my opinion, he's top 10 uh, heavyweights, not boxers overall, but top 10 heavyweights of all time. I'd say maybe top five. What do you say, Paul? I'd say he came at about a time when the heavyweight division was fairly weak. So he was able to take advantage of that. But when it comes to skill set, I'd say probably top three. 
because since then we haven't seen someone like him. Top three heavyweight? Heavyweights. Of all time. Yes. So why do you think people think he's so good? Is it because of his knockouts? Do you think regular casual people consider knockout as the greatest sign of precise technical boxing? Uh, I mean, it depends on the fan. It's, it's, so like casual fans know that Tyson was one of the absolute best at knocking people out quickly. If you're going to go with who's the fighter who could knock people out quickly, then you're going to go with give Tyson number one. That's just what it's going to be. And honestly, I, I'm rating him really high. It's just heavyweight was for so long the popular division. The, if he was in another weight class, then I would definitely put him top three, maybe top two, top one. But heavyweight just has a history of so many absolutely fantastic uh, challengers for so long. But Tyson was undoubtedly an insanely skilled fighter, highly technical. And I'm not saying he... Well, he turned into one, but when he started, he wasn't a brawler in the least bit. He was very meticulous, very precise, and he could. The reason, like you said, he could put guys down was because he was so technical. Actually, this is a question from one of our followers on the Patreon. What is the key to first round KOs? Because that's something that Tyson was really known for. So, what made him so successful in first round KOs? And is there something we could learn from that? in what makes KO successful also in kickboxing and oh, yeah. MMA. Oh yeah, for sure. The thing that made him so successful in first round KOs, besides his insane freaking power and speed, was that he came at you in a way that you had never experienced before. I'm sure um, a lot of viewers, and certainly you guys, have switched gyms or switched martial arts at some point and have suddenly been thrust into a world with an entirely different set of rules. And... Uh, or you're used to the same people in the gym and a new guy comes in and he has a little bit of different style. He's from a different gym. Either of those scenarios, you find yourself being hit a lot more often than normal, even if the guy's not necessarily as good as you. Um, if I'm fighting uh, Muay Thai guys, who are, by, Muay Thai, by the way, is a wonderful art and very, very good. But if I'm fighting them and they've never fought me before, or sparring, I should say, uh, a sidekick will always get them. Like always, because they're standing with their hands high, straight forward, expecting a teep, and they're not used to the range of the sidekick, or maybe just how it's loaded. It doesn't, um, granted, when you put your leg down, they'll chop your leg to shit if you do it too many times, obviously, but it's just one of those things. And Tyson came at you in an entirely different way. No one had the footwork he had, uh, it's called a, uh, what I like to call a lateral shift, um, no one had the uh a lot of people call it the damato shift uh like a linear shift it, his his lead hand became his backhand as he tried to pivot out because he just step out at that wide an angle and or he just you know uh do that little jump he does and then shift in the southpaw if you're not used to that and you haven't seen it before he didn't give you time to adjust because by the time you adjusted you'd already taken two or three sh hits and that's all it took with tyson so, so much of his success then wasn't just his power, but it was almost his uniqueness. You could almost say it's a gimmick that he came in with something that people weren't used to. Exactly. But actually, that could become a downfall later on. Once people get used to it, things uh, change. Exactly. Uh, and you see that all the time. Fighters come in with entirely new styles, and then they get figured out. Uh, and the really great champions like Ali can adapt and actually change their style based on the fighters. But most of them can't because they're just used to coming up with this brilliant strategy. Um, and sometimes it's even like a, a return to form of, of what it used to be, which is really interesting. Like people used to fight that way 50 years ago. 
And then it's been so long that people forgot how to adjust to it. When you mentioned that it's been done before and people forgot, I can't help but think of Floyd Patterson. And his trainer was also Customato. Yep. And when they said, I haven't seen that before, like, yes, you have. It was 30 <laughs> years ago. How did you forget? I mean, it's 30 years, but yeah. granted, they had the same trainer. So when you says, oh, that's interesting, that shift and he comes up with the hooks, like, yeah, Patterson used to do that. Yeah, for sure. But Patter- the difference was Patterson didn't have the insane power that Tyson had. And the system, the style, the peekaboo style works insanely well if you have re- like a lot of power. It will end the fight quickly. I actually think the best way to knock people on the first round, second round is just have good matchmaking. Because the more you fight somebody that plays into your style and your strengths, the easier it's going to be to have that knockout record. Oh, where yeah. you look they, good. They were, all, they were all Ali clones. They were all trying to be Muhammad Ali. And, uh, and so Tyson's style of getting inside that jab just worked really, really well. And it's not that hard to predict, actually, in MMA, a first-round KO, because sometimes me and Paul will be studying a fight, and we're like somebody like Justin Gaethje versus Edson Barbosa, where the styles are clashing in such a way. It's just like, yeah, Edson Barbosa could kill somebody else, and Justin Gaethje can have a really hard time with somebody else. But this style clash... I just can't see Edson Barbosa not getting knocked out in round one. And he got knocked out in round one. And it was all because of the matchmaking. It was all because of the way their styles matched up. Yeah, Barbosa can't be with someone who crowds him because his boxing is shit and his wrestling. But god damn can he strike. I just wanted to see a I just wanted to see a leg kick like standoff, and they did right at the beginning. And that's all I wanted to see. So after that I was like, whatever happens, happens. <laughs> that was that was golden. Yes, I think Paul has a point. A lot of times is good matchmaking. And Tyson had a lot of that at the beginning. In a way, like, I guess this dies more also into the theory of like, um, just not letting the the match go on for so long to the point where like the other person like is able to read you. And now like the match is dragged out because like, it's like, you know, two people playing a chess game and like analyzing each other. Whereas like you said, like there's the matchmaking or like the, 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 cause even like different personalities, you know, like, someone who gets like i'm the type of person that like the more i get like the the crap kicked out of me um i think i fight better um as opposed to like other fighters or whatever but like um and then you're you know and then david's saying like um like yeah just not letting like you go in tyson's fighting and then the person has no idea what tyson's gonna do and then he kind of knows the other person's gonna do and then like but the match doesn't go on long anyways because like tyson doesn't really give the other person a chance to read what he's gonna do because it's so hard to read anyways and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a knockout. It's like uh, sci-fi books, if you guys ever read sci-fi. I don't, I don't read books. <laughs> where a lot of times, it's like alien races that have never met each other. They not only have to meet each other, we're meeting each other and we're fighting. And we, we have no idea what weapons you have. You have no idea what weapons I have. And it's just like, well, I guess we're going to figure it out right now. Yeah. And then like the second part of the book, like the, the sequel is always like, okay, here's all the stuff we fucked up the first time <laughs> around. <laughs> right? Yep. And that's all actually based on history and the ancient world when different tribes ran into each other it was almost like aliens where they had different types of weapons different strategies and then they're just kind of trying to figure it out and if you have multiple skirmishes then they start figuring it out but that first time is whoever has the advantage has the advantage and actually that's why a lot of times more in mma than boxing if you have an open stance matchup where it's a southpaw versus an orthodox fighter 
there was a lot of KOs for a while because the orthodox fighter was just not used to the southpaw fighter in MMA. Boxing, they're much more used to it. Now, MMA fighters are starting to get used to it too, but it was that clash of like, what the fuck? Wait, give me, give me a full round to figure you out. But a lot of times they don't even have that chance. So I think it's both of what you said is, is the, the matchmaking of how the styles clash. And if you're not used to it and you don't have chance to adapt, then you're fucked. Yeah, either you're fighting aliens or you're fighting illegal aliens. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> it was like the tribes back then like fighting each other. What? <laughs> it was the tribes like a long time ago. Like fighting but each other. How would they be like, illegal? Because they're not from each other's country. They're both illegal to each other. Yeah, illegal aliens. <laughs> so <laughs> that's my takeaway from this whole thing. <laughs> so they're all illegal. <laughs> yes. Actually, I was going to make the same point as him, but less racist. <laughs> and that is that is that uh, like when cultures come up with new ways to fight, that's always been the, the ones that just steamrolled and took over like large chunks of the world. Like um, Alexander had. Uh, I forget what it was, some kind of like weird, fancy spear on horseback that they didn't have before. And so he just swept over Ang- uh, like all of Asia. The Mongols had like they could fight uh, with like super like high precision bows on horseback and then turn in all different angles and then that was new um and then uh for like uh north america and and well actually all of america it was the uh caucasian people coming over with diseases of all things and <laughs> and guns helped but mostly it was the diseases <laughs> disease it's just, oh but it's, it's always something unexpected it's always something that they didn't encounter you have to steamroll over your opponent, and then if there's like becomes a standstill, if you let them figure you out, then uh, then they realize like, huh, the Blitzkrieg was intimidating, but it actually is kind of easy to tear it apart if you just take it from the sides because they're putting all their forces forward at the same time. That's why, as merciless as it was back in the day with these kind of really ancient tribes, what they would do is not only would they kill as many of you as they can find, but they'll kill every kid because they don't want anybody else to ever come back and be like, oh, this is what you guys did. Not only do I remember, but I remember the strategy <laughs> and this is how I'm going to kick your ass. So to never, <laughs> so to never have a rematch, yeah. they would have to just kill everybody and then salt that whole area so they can never come back. Like fucking lions, man. That's crazy. All right. So let's move on. Here's another question. Could a prime... Mike Tyson stylistically beat a prime Evander Holyfield. And the reason why I ask this is because a lot of Mike Tyson apologists will be like, well, the, the guy who fought Evander Holyfield, it's not the same Mike Tyson. And it would have been different if they fought back in the day when Mike Tyson was in his prime. But that's also unfair to other fighters who get into their prime later in their life, right? So it's rarely two people in their primes at the same time. Some people are early blossomers like Mike Tyson and somebody like Evander Holyfield, or I'm going to talk about later, but Lennox Lewis, it took him a while to get into their prime. So if we were going to do a fantasy matchup of prime Evander Holyfield teleporting back and fighting a prime Mike Tyson, David, what would that look like? I feel like uh, Tyson would have taken him, but it would have taken a lot of rounds is the feeling I get. Honestly, I think that 17-year-old Mike Tyson would have a better shot than the Mike Tyson who fought Holyfield. And I don't really blame it on uh, normal degradation of skills. I blame it on the fact that he was uh, using mountains and mountains uh, worth of cocaine 
every single day and uh and not training and i just read his biography and goddamn that that dude lived like a really messed up life um but mostly i i blame it on firing his um original trainer who worked with him while he was with cuss uh i think his name was rooney kevin rooney yeah kevin rooney after you could see a difference pretty much the next fight um almost all the knockouts tyson had after that were from being true to form where he would slip step off angle turning his his like lead hook into almost a rear hook and then and then catching him or like you know that that little hop he does off angle with the right uppercut but he just stopped doing that before like rooney would have him do things where okay you're gonna do a combination every time you throw three punches immediately afterwards you have to move your head three times no less and he was so meticulous and then tyson just stopped moving his head and when he did it was only the very most basic thing, which is slip, jab, and then come in with overhand right. Or slip to the left and then come on with the lead hook. The footwork wasn't there. The head movement wasn't there. He didn't even bother to weave afterwards. To me, it, it looks like uh, like as soon as he, he fired his trainer, he slowly degraded into a... Uh, he went from an aggressive counterpuncher into a brawler slash swarmer. I think even if you took them in their prime, Holyfield would still beat Tyson. It wouldn't be an easy fight, but Holyfield is such a magnificent cheater. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> oh my God. I was going to say he would have gotten headbutted even worse the first time just because of how low that Tyson ducks in. And I don't think so because he used to have footwork too. I think he would have just been knocked silly from headbutt. From the headbutt. <laughs> and also, Holyfield is so fucking durable. And the war of attrition and the headbutts and the cheating would go on. Yeah. So when you factor in cheating, much <laughs> like in video games, much like in video games, when you cheat, it's like, hey, you can't do that. It's like, but I did. Now what are you going to do? So Holyfield just needs to do that a couple of times or as many as he wants. And if he's not called for it, it would change how Tyson approaches it. Now, Prime Tyson with Kevin Rooney or Customato in his corner might be able to adjust. But it doesn't mean Holyfield will go, okay, I guess I'm not cheating anymore. He'll just find other things to do. And the thing that gave Tyson the most trouble was when you look at his fight with Larry Holmes. When he got clinched up, when he had his neck held down and he had his triceps stifled, it still gave him enough trouble to say, hey, he keeps holding me. And Holyfield doesn't have to knock you out. He doesn't have to make it spectacular. He just has to win. And if he has to cheat to get there, then so be it. I would actually add to that, that even if you look at prime Mike Tyson, quote unquote, during the era of Kevin Rooney or even Customato, whenever there was an issue, he just complained to the ref. He was never somebody even in his prime that showed great fight IQ, adaptability, or an ability to overcome obstacles. So something like cheating, he would always look to the ref or something like clinching or things that he doesn't like as far as his style goes, which might not even be cheating. He looks to the ref. Go back to his old fights. That's what he looked at. He didn't have an ability in the fight to overcome it and figure it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this this other way. And his team never was able to do that. So I think in that way, I could see Holyfield still giving him a lot of problems. I agree. But I will say that when he used to be devastating the second someone tried to clinch, the second someone tried to clinch, extended even one arm, he found that opening. He used to keep punching as he moved in. When he came back from prison, it was just he'd throw, he'd duck one way only, throw one shot, 
get tied up, and then do dick. Like, if you go back and watch his KOs, a lot of them are the, the shift back uppercut exactly when someone's trying to tie him up. Like, that used to be a strength for him. But I agree that he was never... He was high fight IQ because he was basically using D'Amato's system. And he, he was given that IQ. When he wasn't reminded constantly what he was supposed to do, I agree, he couldn't figure it out on his own. I also would add that the best strikes that Tyson had, people get confused where they say, oh, Tyson needs to get on the inside to hurt you. But it was actually on the way inside that yeah. he hurt you. He doesn't get in. It's like, okay, time for me to work. It's more of, oh, here it is. Oh, here's an opening, whether it's through a jab or whether it's through the fact that, oh, I'm going to clinch. All he needs is that split second where you have your hand up, your lead hand up, and your rear hand slightly on the bottom. Because then he'll look at it and be like, okay, I see four targets. I see your left rib cage exposed. I see your right jawline hook there, hook there. I'm stepping in. Okay, now I can work even more because now you're covering up and then you don't have any defenses because you're exposed. And with Holyfield, a prime Tyson might say that, all right, after the fourth round or after the third round, he might say like, all right, he's just headbutting me every time. The next time I fake going in hard and then he serves his head on prime, I'm just going to uppercut him. That could very well happen too. I, you know, the funny thing about the, in the second fight, Holyfield was so good at headbutting that he literally used his a rear hand parry against Tyson's jab to pin his arm down like a trap so he could open a target to slam his head into sideways. Which is basically like, that's how you set up a knockout um, in the UFC nowadays, or if you're like Lomachenko or something. It's an advanced technique. It's a highly advanced technique that requires precision, timing, lots of practice, and he did it with a headbutt. So that's what I'm saying. We take a prime Evander Holyfield, send him back in time, and we're fighting not only Mike Tyson in his prime, but we're also fighting during an era where the cameras were shittier. You didn't have as good of replays or slow-mos. It would be so much easier to hide the headbutts. I, I agree. They would be like, what happened? It, it, did he just get knocked? Was there a punch we didn't see? He used to move off angle, though. So I think that would have helped him. I think he would have still gotten caught, though, for sure. Um, how, he rea- how he reacted to that um how his younger body without all the years and years of drug abuse reacted to that that i don't i don't know how that would be different so is that what like holyfield's like known for is cheating is there anything else and he getting does? his ear bitten off oh that, that's <laughs> where it came from oh my god so um, tyson didn't just go in and be like i don't know just bite him in the ear it was more of after repeated head butts and the ref didn't call it he says all right fine if your head's gonna be here, i'm just gonna bite it because in boxing how often does that happen you're never close enough to have your ear so it's because Holyfield kept doing that. It's like, fine, you're here. I'm just going to bite That's your amazing. ear. That's amazing. But sorry, back to what, what I was asking was like, does Holyfield have like, is there anything else that he excels in? besides? Cheating? No, he's really good though. Yeah. He is really good. And most casual fans don't know about his cheating. It's only like the, the boxing nerds know about it. Because he's so good at hiding it. Like I was watching it this morning, their first fight. And I, I knew he headbutted. But like watching it again, I was like, I didn't realize he did it so many times because the first time I watched it when I was young, yeah, I maybe I caught one. Mm-hmm. But this time around, I caught so many. I'm like, damn, he was that good at hiding it that you really have to be a nerd. His strength isn't cheating. It's like he's good at cheating. It's a craft at cheating. He really, yeah, he was, and- which is totally like different in my opinion. But it's it's like a borderline where is it really cheating? Because 
he kind of uses that Simpsons style of like, if I'm just swinging my arms and you run into me, then you just punch yourself. He kind of puts his head in line of how you're going to come into him. So it's almost like sometimes he does. Sometimes like I did an entire video on Burmese boxing uh, where they allow headbutts legally and they all did the exact same movement with the exact same motion. Like I was I was rewatching the fight, too, uh, for this podcast. And I'm like, huh, he's using the the technique that all the Burmese boxers use where it's legal. Um, they even do the clear the hand and then come in. It's just, called, thing. It's just called old school boxing, I think. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So here's my follow up question. A lot of people blame his degradation, Mike Tyson, I mean, for his time in jail. And that's part of why he lost to Evander Holyfield and Lennox Lewis and some other people later on. Now, how much of it was that jail hurt him? Because let's say he still stuck with Kevin Rooney and he never went to jail, right? But so much of his success was based on physical attributes that don't necessarily age well because he relied a lot on power and especially speed and footwork. Now, footwork is a technique, but nimble, like movement of feet, you know, because you used to train people and you know about exercise science. That's all agility drills. That's all speed, agility, you know, movement, mobility. That does also age. Power, as far as slow strength, I mean, not power, but slow strength lasts you a long time. But explosive strength, speed, and agility, that all slows down over time. So, regardless of him going to jail, if he faced Evander Holyfield at that same age and it was the same Evander Holyfield and he never went to jail, would it have looked that much different? If he was, if he like stayed off of drugs and, and didn't, and stayed with Rooney and didn't go to jail and kept Because fighting. even in his prime, he was still doing the drugs, right? So that, whatever is yeah, consistent. Yeah, but, they, but during... they have, but they, but over time, that's going to mess you. What age, what age is his prime? Early, like 20. But wasn't he like, uh, what, what was he, like 30 by the time he fought Holyfield? That's what I'm saying. So regardless of going to jail or not, Tyson at 30, I still don't think was going to be that different than what we saw just because he hit his prime so early. A lot of people might argue that his prime, like you said, was like 17, 18. He just couldn't get a title shot at 17, that time. 17, 18? I feel like a 17-year-old is so fragile. Not Tyson. I, I think uh, I think Tyson, I, I think he still could have taken him. I think he would have seen some speed loss for sure. I think he would have relied less on footwork. Um, and more on just brute strength like he did. But even incorporating head movement, his fight would have gone so much better than it did. He really only kept two very basic moves and techniques, and that's it. Uh, there wasn't the, the variation. There wasn't the precision. There wasn't the, the traps. All of the science went out of his fighting near the end there. So you mentioned prison for Tyson. Are we talking just... Evander Holyfield at that same age when he would have gotten out. And I'm just saying if we account for just age diminishing his style, not jail, taking him out of boxing. If everything went right for Tyson. Because the other thing is by the time he met him, he could have had more just damage from boxing too. He could have had maybe 10 more fights before that fight, right? Mm, good, po good point. And also that many more years of hard training and training camps. I think Tyson would have been okay because the big problem with someone who dips so low like uh, Joe Frazier is that over time it ruins their back. Yeah. And Floyd Patterson, Patterson was too. known for having terrible back problems towards the later end of his career. But the way Tyson would do it, he would just drop his entire body like a squat and then he pops back up. So it would have fallen on, well, how good are his legs? How good are his knees? And if he could take good care of that, I think that would be the X factor. 
And because if your legs can carry you up, um, your legs can carry you pretty far in terms of how well you age. And if he can keep that in somewhat of a good condition, I'd say it's, I'd still favor Holyfield, but it'll be like 55-45. So what about this? Prime Tyson versus a prime Lennox Lewis. I think, I think same thing. Uh, it'd be close, but I think Tyson might have taken it from the 8th to the 10th. In this, um, in the Lennox Lewis matchup, I give the slight advantage to Tyson. Because for me, Lennox Lewis is great at establishing the jab. And he's 6'5 with the 84-inch reach advantage. He's like, <laughs> like a bigger, better, like John Jones. But the things that Lennox Lewis does well would also, I think, give him certain problems against someone like Tyson. Because Tyson does have problem against really good jabbers. Buster Douglas specifically was able to give him a hard time by fainting and hiding the power shots. But with Tyson, the more you jab, the more opportunities you would give him in order for him to figure out a way to get in and hit you while you were spamming him. Or when you were throwing shots that he can figure out like, okay, that's not a power shot. I'm just going to go in. And because of Tyson's height, a lot of times it's at a disadvantage, but it would also mean that Lennox Lewis would have to punch down every time. And when you punch down, you leave yourself vulnerable for punches coming back up. When Muhammad Ali had that discussion with Customato, and Customato says, you're going to get hurt against Joe Frazier because you always punch down. And Muhammad Ali's like, that's not going to happen. And Cus showed him exactly okay, you see you're doing here and you throw an uppercut, I'm going to come back in. And sure enough, when Muhammad Ali fought Joe Frazier, the uppercut hurt him. So when you compare someone like Lennox Lewis, who doesn't fight like Ali, but someone who will punch down and has to punch down against a 5'10 Mike Tyson, you're going to run into some of those problems. And I would give Tyson a slight edge, especially if we're considering a prime Tyson with good head movement, who could time you, who can shift his way in, who sees jabs, the opponent's jabs as opportunities to get in. And with that uppercut, it's nasty. Especially if he hurts you with hooks to the body and he bolts you upright because you don't want to take them. And then you take one of those uppercuts, easy night. That's another thing he stopped doing was throwing to the body. That's what I was going to say too. That's a good point. Strategically though, if you watch the fight, and I don't know if it would have worked against the prime Tyson, but he did seem to have like, dotted out and studied tape and it's like this is something that he's always been open to which is when Lennox Lewis would throw out the jab right is he's in danger but what he did to prevent himself from being in danger and to hurt Tyson was instead of pulling the jab back and allowing Tyson to chase him in he left it out there and then just grabbed the back of Tyson's head and yanked it down and just uppercutted him and he did that throughout the fight and so that was just something like just thinking about this guy for years and years. <laughs> Wait, is that even allowed? Yeah. It's not technically allowed, but if you leave the punch out there and then just kind of steer their head and it still looks like you're retracting your punch, you could get away with it. But, you know, you know, clinching isn't technically allowed. It's, it pretty much depends on the ref. But to David's point, if we're talking Prime Tyson with Kevin Rooney or Cuss in his corner, who might say, hey, just keep shifting after Lennox Lewis throws out the jab. So that way you're less likely to be on the same side where he can just leave it out and guide you. It could be more like, no, I'm not falling for that. So it might work for a round, but then once the corner gets him, he's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. So he's almost like a body though. That's the other thing too. It's like, what if his coach is sick that day? He 
train those drills. Like uh, D'Amato had like a, a specific set of drills that he had him train all the time. And um, he called it, he didn't call it training. He, he called it like improvements or something where you, he just, Tyson would just run the same drills because peekaboo is dramatically simple. It's just you shift to the left or you shift to the right. And uh, and you move your head one, two, or three times to get inside, and then you throw a punch, and then you, you once you're mid range, body punches and uppercuts. Uh, and Tyson just stopped doing all those things, pretty much. So I think if he'd, it, it was more like a camp. If he'd had like a camp where he was continuously nagged into doing what he should have been doing, when he was against Holyfield, he was almost his head movement was almost that of a kickboxer who was worried about taking a knee. You know, or taking a round kick to the face. Even if Customato was alive, also, the other thing I'm wondering about is because Tyson trained so fucking hard under him and started so early that could he have just kept doing those kind of body killing camps for so many years? And they didn't have the strength and conditioning knowledge that we have now about overtraining and whatever. No, yeah. So that's the other thing. I wonder if you would have eventually, even with Cus, just hit burnout. Just like, I can't do this anymore, man. Give me a break. Probably, yeah, probably. But on the other, on the other hand, he seemed to really love it. But on the other hand, if you read his book, so much of his love had to do with Cuss and him, him basically seeing that Cuss had saved him from this other life he could have had, and almost his entire motivation was to impress uh, the man who basically was his father. Once he died, he lost a lot of the motivation, and it didn't become. He he wasn't really interested in learning more about the art of boxing after that, like. He used to be so fascinated by it. He'd watch tapes of all the greats. And then after Cus died, it was basically about making money and just having sex with as many women as he possibly could. And that was it. And cocaine. <laughs> so he's only good. He's like one of the best ever in this thin sliced way where all these things have to be there. Customato has to be alive. Tyson can't be doing drugs. He has to be healthy. You know what I mean? That makes it harder and harder to I count feel like him as one of the, the best. That's the same thing for every human being, though. Yeah. And Tyson was just really good at fucking up. <laughs> like, if you think about you, you need to what you need to do to to manage your career, keep this podcast successful, and uh, and and raise your child and be a good husband. You need to not do drugs. You need to practice your craft. No, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I yeah. have to disagree there. Where we're talking about just the best. Right, we're talking about the best of all time. Oh, like the most. He's like only you look the at Muhammad Ali. Elite. Okay, he can change trainers and he no. can still remain. Oh, I see what Ali. you're saying. That is an you excellent I mean? point. Like somebody like uh, Roy Jones Jr. in his prime has changed trainers. He was with his dad. He was with other people, and he was still Roy Jones because nobody knew boxing what he needed to do better than Roy Jones in that ring or Ali in that ring or a lot of the greatest boxers of all time. They were their own generals, whereas Tyson was more like a tool. Physically and I think just um, like intensity wise, then he absolutely was like a living weapon, you know, uh, like mortal weapon. But uh, he was. Whoa. Whoa. But uh, he definitely lacked the discipline because of his upbringing. Um, like I said, if you read about it, it, it was absolutely insane uh, where he grew up and all the shit he went through. But then again, there's been people who went through the same shit as him and they, they were just, for whatever reason, uh, men mentally more stable than he was. Everyone wants to know what Tyson's doing, but no one ever asks, how is Tyson <laughs> doing? <laughs> all right. So what made him so good in his prime? Natural athletic ability. 
a intense, eager knowledge to to learn boxing, work hard at it, and impress Customato. Um, he was even pretty clever in his earlier fights. Um, like he'd think of some stuff himself. Uh, Cus got mad at him at one point because I mean he always encouraged him slipping to uh shifting to southpaw temporarily to get off angle. But Cuss at one point got mad at him because this guy was being cute circling, and so Tyson switched to southpaw to cut him off better. So he used to just really be into it. And I think you just see this. I, I think what you see in the ring is what's happening inside. That's just his mentality and and his mentor being gone and him reverting back to maybe who he would have been. But now he's in this situation of being a, a title holder. In his prime, he did a lot of good stuff with stance switching, right? So what were some of the things that he was doing to stance switch? Like, because he, sometimes he was in a southpaw style and knocking people out. We just think about the power. We didn't even notice that he switched stances. So what was he doing? He had three ways of switching stances. It was really incredible. Uh, one you see, I call it a lateral shift, and you see it in the UFC all the time now, which is basically you step forward, either you're jabbing or you, uh, you're stepping into an overhand maybe. And you're taking your lead leg, like if, you bo- if you're both orthodox, you're taking your lead leg and you're stepping it way to the left to where you're almost in like a neutral, like staggered wrestler stance or something. And then when you do that, your left hand, your lead hand is actually farther away from your opponent. Um, and so you're kind of almost shifted right there. But then when they pivot away, uh, now you're actually in... A, a southpaw stance because they pivoted you'd stayed there rather than trying to adjust your body to move your lead foot towards them to regain your orthodox dock stance you now have the dominant outside position in southpaw and you could just continue striking there uh you see wonder boy thompson dillashaw were uh Cruz, they were the innovators of this and now you're seeing pretty much everyone do it step uh two is um I think Lee Wiley is how you pronounce it. I saw I first saw him call it the Damato shift. He has a great boxing channel on YouTube. Uh but un- unfortunately he doesn't have my amazing narration skills, I guess. So he just does text. But he he has a really great channel and he called it Damato shift. I like to think of it as a linear shift, which is basically um Tyson would move so far past his opponent like uh let let's say you're both standing in orthodox he would shuffle inside and turn. So now him and his opponent were facing each other in southpaw. Uh, but his he was used to that. His opponent was not. So his opponent would suddenly find themselves in a southpaw stance having no idea how to fight in that way. And the third way um, was he basically just like you normally do. You step forward um, and you cut them off. You go from orthodox stepping forward. Occasionally he'd shuffle into it. Like, you, you know, that little hop shuffle he does uh, looks exactly like the football drills you see people do um, when they, they uh, run with their legs real quick in the squat and then all of a sudden like and then flip their body sideways. Yeah. So he'd do that or he'd just go into a normal shift um, by stepping forward. Now, Paul, Tyson is really known for his hooks, sometimes his right counter. But did he also jab? Is he an underrated jabber? I think he's an underrated jabber and it's because people only realize or it's the ESPN effect. They see the highlights (laughs) of, oh, how did they win? When you see highlights of any sport, whether it's hockey, basketball, baseball, football, they show the touchdowns, the slam dunks, the 
home runs. So with Tyson, he didn't do it as much, but I think he's underrated in the sense that he got you to draw out your jabs. I was like, here it is, here it is. I'm way closer than you think. It's like, oh shit. And from there, you panic jab. Well, it is also really sad how like underappreciated the the jab actually is too. To casual fans, nobody hell yeah. To, nobody wants to make a jab highlight. <laughs> I, I love jabs are the best. But if you only have seen Tyson through highlights, you wouldn't even know that he jabbed. No, you wouldn't. You think he just threw left hooks and a right uppercut and that was it. Just go in and just start swinging away. No, yeah, his, his setup was pretty great. He ducked down, jab high, um, and then move his head offline. And you couldn't see where he was underneath your own jab. Like you were talking about, like you're jabbing down. You have no idea where this guy is because his jab's in your face. His head is underneath your arm. And you don't even see that right hand sneak up and arch over your shoulder. Um, you never know what happens until you watch the highlight reel, pretty much. And Sam, you asked David what made Tyson so special. I'd say he also had, at the time, the media narrative where people were scared of him before they even signed because he was just crushing people. He had a video of or not a video, he did a promotion with Everlast where they sent a special heavy bag where it was heavier than normal and he would crush it. And psychologically, it ruins you because you think, oh my God, this is a 300 plus pound bag and he's moving it side to side with hooks. I don't want to get hit by one of those. And he filled that void that Ali left because when you don't have that heavyweight or when you have a heavyweight division that's empty, it's going to look for a star naturally. And Tyson wasn't the talker that Ali was. He wasn't as charismatic. But he had that fear factor where you were scared. And good luck trying to find a training partner that can mimic Tyson in the ring. You can find people that can individually do those things. Like, okay, let me find a guy who can shift. Let me find a guy that can hook really hard. Let me find a guy that's shorter. Let me find a guy that's fast. Try finding someone that does all of that in one. It's like trying to find a training partner for that can mimic John Jones. It's like, okay, you could probably find somebody that's tall, find somebody that can kick well, find somebody that can wrestle, but that package, it's going to be hard to come by. Going back to the jab, he also had a very underrated, just traditional step-in jab. Yeah, He had all of his signature moves that were unique to him. But he would also just jab his way in sometimes. And it was just like a clean, straight jab. And he would just step into it, step into it, and close the distance that way too. And then just start hitting you with his power shots. And that doesn't look that cool on the highlights. But he didn't forget his fundamentals. He had really good fundamental boxing too, which probably because he trained with Customato. This is a really weird train of thought. But when I was looking up Mike Tyson, I ended up watching The Hangover. <laughs> I can feel it coming in the air. What, he hit some after that? <laughs> but there were so many things going on in that movie that you forget. There's a tiger in there. It's Mike Tyson's tiger. And when you said his jab, Sam, I was like, his jab is kind of like that tiger in the movie. You just forget about it. It's like, oh, yeah. Bradley Cooper's character was like, oh, what are we going to do with the tiger? Like, oh, I forgot about that fucking tiger in the bathroom. His jab was like that because you were like, okay, he's fast. He can hook. He can go low. And then he jabs like, oh, I forgot he can jab too. No one told me he could jab. And I think that actually used to fuck up his opponents. Yeah. He had such a reach and height disadvantage, yet he would still jab people to death sometimes. And they're just like, oh, shit, Tyson could jab. I forgot he can jab. What is this? Maybe he set it up in a way where it's like, 
he purposely doesn't let people see his jabs. Like he, it's like it's like he he makes it like underrated Through on what? purpose. Tele- telepathy? What are you talking about? <laughs> so what he does is he like puts on a helmet and he brainwashed them no like i meant like through the techniques oh no i don't think it's that i think it's actually what paul was talking about it's just you just look at all the footage when you're studying him and you're gonna fight him i think you just watch all the other shit he's doing with the hooks the bags exploding you know when he's punching them you forget that he also he could just come in and start jabbing the shit out. <laughs> it's of like the most rudimentary basic thing fucks you over you're like gotta watch over this 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 oh no my shoelace is untied yeah 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 you're you're waiting for all the advanced shit and then you forgot about did I tie my shoelaces? I forgot that shit. <laughs> you're like fighting and then you're like, everything's good. Like, Did I leave the oven on? Oh, fuck. You know what it is? Like when you're doing, uh, when you first get into traditional martial arts and you just care about all the spinny, like advanced spin kick, jump kick, whatever. Right. Okay. <laughs> and that's all you care about at the beginning. Right. And so you do one of those kicks at school and then your shoe flies off because you were so focused on doing the, <laughs> the kick. And making it look cool that you didn't even realize that you didn't tie your shoe all the way tight. And now you look like the idiot with the shoe way over there. And you're just like hopping around trying to get your shoe. Because you didn't take care of the basics, man. Did you tie your shoe before you tried that kick? You know what that reminds me of? I haven't thought about this in years. My friends and I in kindergarten had a Power Rangers fight club. where That sounds awesome. We would meet at lunch behind this tree so they couldn't see us because they didn't want us fighting. Or we'd meet after school and we'd just literally fight each other power ranger style and just beat the shit out of each other and we almost got expelled and we did get suspended what age group was that you were in kindergarten dang okay like, kinder- took- like kindergarten first grade we had a fight we had a little fight club the a rule an actual rule was that you couldn't talk about it like only certain people were allowed in the fight club dude that is amazing what does this have to do with the fundamentals well, what does a flying shoe have to do with the fundamentals? <laughs> Your story just reminded me of that. I thought that was funny too. That is also a funny story. My friends, I did that, you. but we called it uh, we called it beat the shit out of each other, and then we would just beat the shit out of each other. I love that game. Yeah. <laughs> so talking about beating the shit out of each other, <laughs> watching these Tyson clips, right? Also, just like trying to figure out how does he just knock everybody out, right? There's all the techniques that you guys just uh, did a really good job breaking down, but also. Just how fucking hard he hits. Because even a really good defensive fighter maybe gets hit 10 times in a round. But the thing with Tyson is, even if you're a really good defensive fighter, you're not allowed to get hit 10 times. Because if he hits you 10 times, it's done. So, so much of it is not that your defenses got worse. Some people, their defenses were still the same. It's just that you couldn't even get away with getting hit by him even five times. Just because he hit that much harder and just... From hitting that much harder, it just changes the whole game of boxing. Absolutely true. Um, I believe this to be true. I remember reading it. Um, Tyson was in juvenile hall and uh, he had like 13 years or something. And someone was training him boxing. And he, this was an ex-student of Customato or Inum or something. And he gave this guy who used to be a professional bloody nose at the age of 13. So one is that Tyson was naturally just athletically gifted. The other one was that uh, D'Amato just just made sure his technique was 100% perfect. Like Tyson, a punch from Tyson is just early Tyson. is just beautiful to watch because everything lines up exactly. It's like a picture in a book on how to box every single punches. It's power and precision. Then exactly. He just, he just took like the strongest freaking person and was like, I'm going to use intelligence on this guy. He actually would have still been world class or probably a world champion boxer, even without Customato. Yeah. He could have been just with any trainer. 
he wouldn't have been as good, but just raw physicality. Like just channeling yeah. that power into like a technique. Like that's crazy. Because there's some boxers who fell and you're watching it. And you're like, that boxer in the past has gotten hit like that by other people. You get hit a certain number of times. And you don't even know that that person got hit because there's a lot of pitter-patter times that people get hit. But against Tyson, even that pitter-patter hit where it didn't even hit you flush, it still fucks you up. So a lot of his highlight reels, he doesn't have as many dramatic KOs as you would think because a lot of times it's kind of like, instead of just like knocking your head off, he just kind of glances somebody and they're already going down. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that like Tyson works almost in reverse? Like usually your technique is what like draws out your power versus like for him, like his power is what made his techniques like it draws out the techniques like it made it like a hundred times that's right it's kind of freaky <laughs> it's like you said sam when oh i would totally take a punch from tyson because he's so accurate that i'm not gonna really get hurt i'm just gonna boom that's why i said I that watching watching his shit again i also saw how accurate he was he would have hit me right here on the side of the jaw like right where the right nerve there, is right there yeah he's so precise that he's like the excellence of execution in uh in wwf I think you guys are overly optimistic about taking a shot from Tyson. <laughs> I think if he was here right now, you might reconsider. <laughs> but if you ask me, would I take a punch from Tyson today? I would say no. It's only would I take it from a prime Tyson because he was that precise and devastating. Now, today's Tyson might not knock me out. He might just really hurt me and break my neck. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you just broke my neck. You didn't even knock me out. Let me do it again. It, like <laughs> reminds me of those movies where like, come on, knock me out, knock me out. And the guy hits him on the forehead. Oh, I'm dizzy. Let me try it again. It's like, I don't want that kind of scenario. You wouldn't even get the 10 million because it was from Don King. <laughs> he, just, he, just, he just takes it all. <laughs> so a less accurate Tyson, that I wouldn't want to take a punch from. Oh, so a less no, accurate Tyson, that. you would not. No, I would take it from prime Tyson because he would just be so precise. Any, any man who raises a tiger cub and then it becomes his best friend, it's, it's like, no, too manly. You can't take a punch from that guy. He really has a tiger? He had a tiger. Oh, that wasn't a joke in the movie? No, he, has a, that no, was a he owned tigers and like had best friend tigers he'd cuddle with and sleep with at night. That was all part of his, like, why he got broke. It was all part of the infamous stories about shit he would waste his money on. When you're snorting cocaine off of a tiger, then you know. <laughs> then you know you're living in extravagance? Yeah, you know you might be spending too much money. Is this the best use of my money? I'm snorting <laughs> coke off of a white tiger. It's an investment, I'd say. Uh, it's an investment. That's usually like a bucket list thing where you only do it once in your life because you could only afford to do it once. Tyson was doing it all the time, so you know. How many tigers did he have? He had two tigers and two lions. Uh, he gave away the lions because one of them... He had two lions? Well, a woman jumped over the fence and it, it kind of almost killed her, so then he got rid of that one. And then paid the, the, the woman or the lion. But he got rid of both of them. <laughs> yes, the woman devastated the lion, beat the shit. Out I was of gonna the say, lion. if a woman crawled into through my gates and was like almost got killed by my lion, I would remove the woman from the premises. <laughs> I thought you were gonna do the old school uh, martial arts argument. It's like all styles are equal. It's about the fighter. That's the difference. So it's like the lion doesn't mean that they're automatically better than the human. It's about who trained harder. I'm being all like open-minded on purpose kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, I'm very generous. Like 95% of styles, I think, work to some extent. But then there's that 5% where I just keep my mouth shut because 
You want to maintain your your fan base online? No, more 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 like it's it's like a lot of people. Some of them, like I said, some of them don't do it for defense. Some of them don't just like how pretty it looks or something, or they like the competition. So I'm not gonna make fun of them just because they, you know, it's it's kind of like a dance, but that's fine. People like dance. All right, let's get into this. What was the key to Mike Tyson never getting countered when he comes in for those leaping hooks? Because if you just see that aspect of the technique where he leaps in with the left hook, you might think he didn't set it up. You might think he just did it right then and there. And, you know, I've had people ask me, he keeps doing that in these highlights. Why doesn't somebody just hit him square in the face for the casual fan? Can you explain why that move was so effective? And even later on when he was fighting an Evander Holyfield or a Lennox Lewis, they didn't counter him when he was doing that technique. So what was the success to that technique? I kind of already brought it up before, but it's the very wide step to the left and, and, and how far he stepped in. It's, it's more like they were two people totally facing each other at that point than they were in, in a more sideways like uh, boxing stance or martial arts stance. It's like they were just wrestling, facing each other. And most people aren't, com- unless you're Archie Moore in his cross guard, you're not comfortable being in that position against another boxer. So they tried to pivot out and he got them every time. So to the casual fan, it just looks like he's in line to get hit. But in actuality, he's off angle and you can't really hit him even if you wanted to. That's the funny thing. They could have actually hit him, but they just felt so uncomfortable being squared up like that in that position that they wanted to revert to a sideways position. It's all that plus the fact that Tyson was smart about making sure that you were already occupied, whether you're with your own offense and you were moving. It's like, oh, I'm too close. I should. And then you too late that's what you said earlier right like not it's not like he's getting inside and punching it's he's like already attacking as he's coming in he's an aggressive counter puncher the, the same way that ali counter punched people by moving backwards and getting just out of reach tyson countered people by coming in and they'd panic and then they'd throw whatever they had it usually sucked because they weren't used to that angle in that position and that just insanity of, of coming in so furiously without any fear they throw a shitty punch and then it get countered. And also he would create chaos and then faint you with that dip. And then it's a level change. He dips and then he leaps in with the hook. Yeah. And they're just so confused anyway because there was all these punches coming. All of a sudden there's a lull. He faints. You're like, okay, I think I know what's coming. And then you're way wrong. Yeah. The the head movement in the peekaboo system is really weird. Um, like, you know how you'll slip one side and then slip the other side? He would slip to one side two or three times. Like imagine it like a clock. Um, instead of going from like three o'clock to nine o'clock, you'd go from three o'clock to like, uh, I don't know, four o'clock. And then your second punch, he'd be on the side you didn't expect. I think he inspired so many people that if somebody came out now with the same style, it would be so much harder because even people who weren't boxing, they'd see a heavy bag. And they would do so many of Mike Tyson's signature moves because they've seen it so many times. Yeah. So along with the left hook that we talked about, did Mike Tyson have any other signature moves? I'd say the right uppercut, especially thrown on the same side, like hook into uppercut or double hook into an uppercut. And then because it's a numbers game after a certain point, you think, okay, if he throws this, he's going to throw this. If he throws here, oh, he's going to switch hands. It's like, nope, on the same side. What? That's not what I'm used to. How, how dare you? And then you get <laughs> hit. You. you can't do that. Now, what about the cross counter? Would you consider that one of his signature moves? Because he's 
knocked out a lot of people with that as well. Oh, I, yeah, I'd, I'd call it more of an overhand. Um, if you if you watch him training with uh, Rooney, he, he would practice getting really close and just crowding people. Like uh, the way he trained against Rooney, Rooney held his shoulder like hunched up and then put the pad right next to it so that Tyson purposefully had to get super close, drag his back leg to his front leg, and then arch his hand way over his shoulder and then come down. Um, so even if someone tried to shoulder roll, Tyson was already ready to to angle it in. And a lot of times they didn't even do that, so that wasn't necessary. But that was definitely something they trained a lot. I, I just had my first video on it, and it's going to be my last, but I don't really talk about mentality on my channel very much. But with Tyson, I think it was his prime factor was his mentality. This guy was, believe it or not, highly intelligent um, and uh, and had great work work ethic when he was when he had something to work for. And then when that disappeared, uh, he, he he just kind of faded slowly into a shadow of what he was. So I think what what we can take away is uh, in our own lives is is this is going to get super corny, but whatever. Uh, if there's someone that maybe you don't know you should be there for, but they kind of you you think you might, or maybe you know that you should be there for them, whether it's a spouse or a kid or something, just just a little bit goes such a long way when you have no one in the world. And from a motivation point of view, um, I, I think just maybe you realize looking at prime Tyson and then, and then what he became, how much mentality your own mentality can shape you. Um, if you could drive yourself, like Tyson never had any kind of self-motivation. I guess like Mike Tyson's advantage was that like, he is Mike Tyson and his downfall was that he is Mike Tyson. <laughs> like it, you know, in a weird, like, no, that's 100% true. That's very metaphysics. I'm just kidding. I'd say if people are trying to emulate Mike Tyson, you have to realize it's not enough that you have his skill sets. It's also that there's a ton of other factors that have to go your way. I think people on our Discord channel talk about how, well, why hasn't there been another Mike Tyson or who's the closest to Mike Tyson? It's hard to say because there's so many things that make Mike Tyson unique to what he is. He was smaller for his weight class. He was so much quicker. He was so disciplined when somebody would tell him what to do. If Custom Model said, go out this round, kick him in the nuts, no doubt Mike Tyson would do it just because he figured, yeah, there's probably a reason why he told me to do that. I'm going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> and then he had the media behind him. He had promoters that would push him. He had the right type of matchmaking to make himself look even better because Michael Spinks was a great light heavyweight, probably one of the best light heavyweights ever. But when he fought Mike Tyson, it was over in 90 seconds because he was a guy moving up and he was towards the latter end of his career anyways. But because Tyson looked so good beating a former world champion, it just elevated his mythical status of like, wow, look at Michael Spinks. He has such a weird, unique style. And Mike Tyson just stifled him so quickly. He had a lot of factors that went into his place. So if we want to create another Mike Tyson, or have the media dub someone as the Mike Tyson, they also have to factor all that in. His height. And I think you touched upon it. And you talked about how a lot of times it was a disadvantage, except sometimes people will punch down. But in his overall style, did his short, compact stature actually help him as a boxer? 
I think I think so for body shots, and you couldn't see a lot of the the shots he was throwing. Also it helps you wrestle a little bit if the guy doesn't know what he's doing. If he knows what he's doing, he could lead down on you and make you very sad that you're short. But if you know what you're doing, then you could kind of use your lower center of gravity and, and move him around. What about with the peekaboo style? Does being more short and compact help you with that? No, because I've seen um, I've seen the style used very differently uh, by this guy uh, who he only had eight pro fights before his eyes gave out. But he did a video for my channel. Um, he's super old now. His name's uh, Hemley, I think. And he stood, he was a very tall guy, stood upright, still used peekaboo. He just didn't squat down. He just used the forward looking sideways squat with the angle changes. So I think it worked really well for Tyson. And I think it's a great style for short people, but you don't need to be short to use it. So we associate peekaboo so much with Mike Tyson that we think it's a short fighter's move. Yeah. But in actuality, a fighter of any size can use it. For sure. Yeah. I was thinking too, like, he looks like a pretty dense dude. Yeah, he was he was an icebox fighting refrigerators. Yeah. That's how I heard one commentator say. <laughs> yeah, so say I feel it. like also density is like, ooh, like that that must even against like a like a bigger person who's like more spread out in a sense around. He's their body. got adamantium. Yeah, in his it's bones. like it'll, it'll hurt, man. It'll feel like getting hit by like. It's like Wolverine. It, yeah, exactly like Wolverine. And somebody else asked this one of our Patreon sponsors, Deontay Wilder. Then he's a great knockout artist. Why isn't he America's new Mike Tyson? Because he hasn't unified yet. Unified? Uh, I, I don't want to get into the, the, the box. Boxing is massively fucked with how many belts it has, basically. So he hasn't unified. Um, he has, what does he have, one? Well, to make it simple, when Mike Tyson was champion, he was the undisputed champion. He was the champ. Whereas right now, you could say several people are claiming to be the champ. I mean, they love the knockouts. And they're not first, not they're not all first round knockouts. He takes a while sometimes too. But I think once he becomes undisputed, that he'll be he he'll be big. He also doesn't have the number of fights Tyson did. Like Tyson had so many fights before he became Tyson. I would say, if I asked you, all three of you, hey, where can I watch boxing? It has that problem of sometimes there's too many places to watch it, and now there's it's harder for me to keep up. So when you look at the NBA, the NFL, or the MLB, I know, okay, this season it's going to be on this channel. And so-and-so is going to play a game on Saturday night. But with someone like Deontay Wilder, it's like, wait, is he with PBC? Is he with Heyman? Is he with The Zone? The Zone? The is zone. he with ESPN Topper? I don't know. And they keep all the competition on separate places. So it's like, well, how's that going to go? That's another way boxing is fucked up right now, too. Mike Tyson was also an underrated promoter. Like when he talked on the mic, people just focused on he had a funny voice. It's not even as high as people like when they do impersonations. It's not even that high, but it just didn't sound like the voice you expected to come out of this dude. But with that said, he always said like really interesting things in interviews. He like, do you know where he got it from? No. In his book, I mentioned the Shaw Brothers movies before he got it from those movies. He loved those movies. So he'd like quote the five venoms, weird shit they said in kung, kung fu movies, basically. Uh, he was a huge uh, or is a huge um, comic book character. And his favorite bad guy, I guess, was Apocalypse. So he just constantly quote shit he said. So that's what I mean. He had so many interesting quotable things that he just say something and people will be repeating it the next day. Right. Because it's fucking crazy out of context. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing. It was so absurd. I am the heart of darkness. 
it just didn't sound like a boxer. And it was also very memorable. He didn't stutter. He didn't think about it. He delivered it well. It was just good. He was always interesting to listen to. Now, in real life, he has a lot of problems. He's a criminal. He's a bad guy. Like, he has a sordid past, all that shit. But even to this day, people like listening to him. If he does a one-man show, people want to hear it. If there's a documentary about him, because they like listening to interviews with him. Whereas Deontay Wilder, uh, he does, like, good mean mugs and, like, he does good stare downs. But if you listen to him just on his Instagram videos or when he does promos, he tries he tries to be interesting, so he'll say some outlandish stuff, but he's not nearly as interesting to listen to as Mike Tyson. So I think that's part of why there hasn't been another Mike Tyson, because you need somebody who knocks people out. We've had people like that, but also when they get on the mic, they have to be really interesting. And also the third part is they have to fight as many times as he did. He fought so many times. It's funny you say that. I... And for the last video I did on on mentality, uh, because I go into fighters that kind of used alter egos and believed that they changed into other characters in the ring. Say that, but can we also talk about what people said afterwards in the comments about that too? What do they say? What do they say? No, you, you finish your thing first, though. A couple of them got cringy. Most of them. Um, the video got posted to Reddit, and uh, every time it gets posted on the boxing sub, some little pissant has some annoying nitpick about me. About you? About me and my video. And then like on the uh, internet, how could it? Well, it's worse than YouTube though. It's on Reddit, it's actually worse than YouTube. And instead of talking about the video, this guy's like, Man, this there's a good video, but his narration of Tyson and Wilder was really off. And I'm like, dude, do you want me to try to impersonate a from the hood high pitched lip-sync black guy are you mad that i said it more like myself he wanted you to do an impersonation i don't know what he wanted he just said my narration on the quotes were bad and you can't make wilder sound good he just says i had to cut his quotes because they're so jumbled and rambling anyways <laughs> but i just thought that was funny that the guy was mad about how i read tyson out what are we gonna say about the comments though so his his video on like the ego thing is like it's super interesting by the way and like um talking about uh how like you know when you when you when you box like or when you fight or anything or whatever thing you're doing like you go in with a mentality right whether it's like your regular everyday mentality or like okay i'm about to like whoop some ass now mentality or like whatever it is so like some people will take that to the extreme yeah and like uh you know they step in the ring and like this dark part of them comes out whatever and then there's like people in the comments who are like i too have a dark version of myself and like they went full <laughs> batman <laughs> like there was commenters where people were like taking themselves way too seriously way too seriously like, it's to the point where it became like supernatural like but one of them was like i have an alter ego i didn't name him though he named himself <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I love even if like the YouTube comments are like really mean. I love I love reading it because I'm like, wow, these people are actually like this. This is why I like Facebook comments, because like on YouTube or anything else, you click on them. You don't know anything about them. Yeah. Whenever you share like a fight highlight or something, just like on YouTube, there's people who will comment who take themselves so seriously. So like when I'm in that situation, I like to do this, this and this or my mentality in a fight. And then you click on him. It's like some middle-aged dude. Who <laughs> That's the reason why my whole thing started with like the like the viral meme that went with the round kicks. Like I I, I drew the round kicks, and then like some lady was just like, because in the drawing, like the the drawing of me, like I'm doing the round kick, and my my other hand comes up to like replace this hand, and I'm throwing my right hand down, right? Because sometimes when you round kick 
you throw your right hand down to like get the momentum. So some lady comments like, oh, I hope a black belt wouldn't put their hand down when they kick like that. And I was like, okay, well, you know what you you something you put down your hand because you gotta like you gotta build that momentum and it all depends i will make a comic about it so i made a whole comic about it to like like dissect like the entirety of like how you throw a round kick and then like that's when i was like bro I no one took that away from the comic at all either no one saw that comment saw that comic and was like this is because some lady said you shouldn't throw your hand no, down it was but i still have it saved because like in a way like i look at that i'm like that's what drives me but like it's like that now and then later when i made like the follow-up comic to explain why people should put down their arm in a round kick they need to she deleted her comment <laughs> off of my original thing. oh you educated her yeah but i actually saved her comment so like you know you saved her life hopefully like i educate i don't know if i educated her or not but like um it's it's it was it's interesting that you you pulled it up because like if it was like a youtube comment i'd be like oh whatever they're so silly but this person like like that was her like I was younger too. I was like, I was like, I was like, this cannot be. So uh, that whole thing started, and that's when I was like, oh, I'm pretty like, I was like, I could do this for like a living. You kicked her ass. Good job, man. Uh, uh, figuratively. Okay. <laughs> what did we learn today? Iman has a very bad temper, and if you ever, if you ever cross him, he will remember forever. Take a screenshot of it and yep. keep it on his computer. He ran, he rants about random shit all the time and he, he goes on for like five minutes. And so at, my wife and I are so used to it. We'll just tap each other on the shoulder and, and I'll just be like, Rashid rant. And she's like, they call it a Rashid rant. And is it like from 10 years ago? No. So like, okay. So he's said this before is like, I, I'm a pretty chill person where like, I like everybody and like, I'm very friendly and like fucking liar. I love <laughs> yeah okay i don't like everybody but like i have the ability to like make friends you told me last that you don't even cuss that's also a lie yeah well i don't i didn't want to cuss in the first one because i didn't know how much people will be listening that i know from my workplace but like now it's like i just don't care now but like um uh, yeah like like it doesn't take like a whole lot to like make me like actually mad at a person but when i do get mad it gets like there's like collateral damage (laughs) like i make comics and viral videos when i get mad so do not write angry messages on anything that Iman makes because he will dedicate a new video just about you. So. Or, or to me because I'll cry. But <laughs> privately, like in the shower. Yeah. Think about it for days. So you don't do that to me, guys. God. But I think it's great because Iman is going full Lamborghini. What is full Lamborghini? So in a nutshell, the creator of Lamborghini made his fortune creating farm equipment. Huge Ferrari fan, love Ferrari. He bought every model that came out. He wrote a letter once very nicely saying, I love all the cars, I have them. If you could just make this one tweak, I think it would be great. And Ferrari, he could have just done nothing, but he wrote back like, well, you make farm equipment, what do you know? So he dedicated years creating a better sports car saying, well, fuck you. He's lost money for years and years until he finally caught up and became a competitor. So are you saying that Iman, if he gets mad at you, that he might hide in the bushes for 10 days straight? Yeah. And shit on himself and <laughs> just so he could attack you? Yes. Not to attack, but to improve. So if you say, <laughs> you're doing your kick wrong, okay? I've been waiting in the bushes for 10 years to attack you. I, Dude, honestly, like I will do that. Like That's how salty I am. <laughs> yeah, if I swear if Let's say for the upcoming graphic novel, there's a panel where it says, like, oh, you do the abs kind of weird. I could totally see Iman saying, what, what do you mean? And then he just studies anatomy. Yeah, 
that's that's what i will i will do that and then next thing you know he becomes an expert on creating abs i'm the type of person who's like someone will be like like oh you just gotta like follow your dreams and i'll be like i'll follow your dreams and like i'll like (laughs) (laughs) i didn't even want to be miss america but look i am and you're not Wait, is that how you got him to agree to do this? You can't draw a graphic novel. Oh, I'll show you. No. I actually didn't. I didn't know he could because he only showed me his like super cartoony stuff. Um, and then I like I I think I might have actually said to him, I'd ask I'd ask you, but it's not your style. And he's like, well, let me show you this comic I've never showed you before. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> um. I totally lost my train of thought, but um, there was no train to begin. No, with. wait, wait. There was, was no train. There was, was no say. train. No train. Something I was gonna say, but I don't. Remember. <laughs> Wasn't even a trolley. Oh, it was the mouths. So when I was when we were first drawing the comic, like I was wait um, the the what the mouths like the mouths of like the people uh-huh. who like I think we already went over that though, the big right? Mouth. You used to draw you mouth mouths like they're they're yeah. Lips you were complaining about anime had big mouth. Yeah, he, yeah, he did that, but. Uh, so when I was first draw like their mouths, it would be like a pretty cartoony looking one, right? Because they were like bigger and like whatever we're looking. So he's like, okay, like, uh, well, we got to work on drawing mouths. And I was like, I definitely agree because it looks like it looks off in the character. So we bought this book where like um that like well, we wanted like the mouths that look in that book to be like similar to this one. And now I'm like a master of drawing mouths. And I used to be like really shitty at it. So it's weird. That is one of the creepiest statements I've ever heard. I am the mouth master. Because of that, I get excited looking at mouths now on comics. I'm like, oh, that's a really good <laughs> follow-up creepy I'm like, sentence. I'm like, holy shit, that's a really good mouth. I like the way they drew that. I like that little line right there. We look through a sketch notebook and it's just mouths. Mouth, just, just pictures nothing of but mouths. Hey, yo, girl, let me draw your mouth. Hey, Sam and Paul, I drew a, I drew a portrait of you guys and it's just our <laughs> it's lips. Just <laughs> what if I just went up to a random person? This and is like, Barack Obama's mouth. <laughs> this is Angelina Jolie's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have enough uh, space on a piece of paper to draw Angelina Jolie's mouth. Dang. <laughs> Dang. Ear, 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 ear. That was as stupid as I'll get today. No, no we no, need to stop not. the podcast now. This is just is... Okay, let's end here. Yeah. <laughs> let's just stop. Dude, I don't know <laughs> what the here. fuck that last 10 minutes was, but I enjoyed it. All right. So, David, where can people find you? Well, I'm right here in your studio. Mm-hmm. But you could find... <laughs> <laughs> Boom. <laughs> you can find Mortal Weapons uh, digital version on Amazon. Just type in Mortal Weapons. You might need to put the word book in afterwards, depending on how cooperative Amazon is being. And the same with Barnes & Noble, although that's a bookstore, so you shouldn't need to put in book. That's where you could find the paper back. And it's pre-order. It'll be out in a couple months. And Iman, where can people find you? All right. Well, uh, I have a YouTube channel, Velocity, right, where I talk about whatever anime things I want to talk about. And um if people want to look at my drawings in general i have um this is just for like fun i have a beside my actual instagram page i have a separate one where i just post drawings it's nothing too serious like will it like 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 the comics or anything like that but um it's just for me to like doodle and just get my creative juices out so if they want to see yeah if they want to see like anime stuff youtube if they want to see like more artsy stuff they just go on instagram uh the instagram is called drawshery so it's my regular name, the V L O S H R Y one, except replace the V L O with draw. <laughs> there we go. I'll put links to everything in the show notes. Thank you guys for coming in. No problem. Thanks for having us. Always a pleasure. A bonus episode. Do you guys cry when you watch anime? Like- I've only ever cried once, and that was during Epo. <laughs> the anime or the manga? The anime when he slap when he slaps uh, Takamura's back and leaves the handprint on. <laughs>
Well, you're more the anime fan. Have you ever cried during animes? Only one anime in my life, I like full on cried, and it was uh, Goodbye Doraemon. What's that one? It's a it's a children's cartoon. Not oh, Grave, not Grave of the Fireflies. No, no, I didn't. The Grave of the Fireflies didn't cry. Pokemon movie, you I didn't human cry. Human monster. You are heartless. Monster. But Sayonara Doraemon, I cried for some reason. It makes no sense. Doraemon is like a super famous uh, cartoon character, like in Japan, right? And it's the he he comes from the future to like help a boy out because the boy is like bullied all the time. And then this episode is about how like he finally goes back to the future and they say goodbye. And so like I cried. It was really sad. You ever cried during an anime? During an anime? Maybe when I was a kid, I saw Pokemon. I think Ash like had to give away his Charizard. Have you like, ever oh, cried no. during a during a movie? Any form of entertainment? Um, probably when I was a kid. Man, you're the toughest here. I've only cried twice during anything. One was Epo, which ended up cracking me up late later that I cried for Epo. And the other one was Big Fish when his dad died. Dude, Big uh, Fish. That's such when a he movie. like he con- he completed his father's story. Because that's the goal of the son is to continue on your father's and he just put him into the water. What, what do you what do you kind of crying like your eyes get all misty or like I don't think it means action. bawling. I think it means like a manly tear. Just one yeah. single tear down. Out of everything I watch is anime is the only one that could that could get me. I think what, what's gotten you? I think it's that it sounds <laughs> like it's a, it sounds like it's a lot that's gotten you. You know, because there's a whole genre of like really like. A silent voice, your name, like they oh my try God, to be, your name. Yeah, they don't try to make you cry, but they're very like feels kind of very award winning, good quality, full length feature movie, right? But when, <laughs> where it's like a sad moment, and they're <laughs> oh shit, their giant bug eyes are like shaking, and then I can see the water filling, and then I'm like mimicking them, and then if they cry, I cry. I'm gonna say because I get choked up all the time from watching. Like if anything makes me like feel stuff right so fairy I get, tale yeah i get to, <laughs> you don't want a rashid rant right now man um but uh yeah i got choked up all the time but i've never like like the tears have never like fully come out like but like my eyes have gone that's what i mean like really... like anime always chokes oh out. okay then like all the time too like every anime ever do you think it's because of the way they're drawn because like regular movies don't do that as much but when it's like not the comical ones but like during those moments like what was that fucking movie where it was about like uh, uh, wolf cub or something where it's like oh wolf children wolf children yeah like shit like that where the the mom have you guys seen it yeah I love that movie dude did you see it in the theater not in the theater if I you saw, saw it in the theater because they released it in the theaters in the U S like everybody's bawling there was the one scene where like the son finally like leaves for his life and the mom is like. to have taught you something important in life by now. What have I taught you? Don't go! And I'm just like, uh... Because it was, like, true. Like, there was no resolution of, like, her really being able to do something for her son. It was just like, it is what it is, and you're gone because now. And it's so different, yeah. It feels... All right. <laughs> but that was a bonus episode. I liked <laughs> for, it. For Patreon. <laughs> for Patreon people only. Do you see the quality, guys? See how this is, is why you're Patreon. I cry like I get like missed out over like the smallest things though. Like last week I I got all choked up cuz like my my where I work like where we teach we went to do an after school program. So we teach karate to like these kids after school and everything and like 
I'm just like hitting these kids on the head with a little foam noodle, like doing the high block. And one of them looks at me. He's like this tiny kid in like glasses. And he's like, he's like, I've always wanted to do karate. And like that made me like, like choke up. Like I choke up over anything, dude. Bonus, bonus episode. Could could I, could I give like a super secret technique that I've been realizing just for your patrons? Ooh, okay. A secret technique. Are you ready? All right. This will get, this will, this will give you, this will like, I'm serious. This will, this will literally like, 10 times better fighter than you were. Are you guys ready? Never gonna give you up. <laughs> Never gonna let you down. Never gonna oh. run around and desert you. I'm literally getting choked. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's end here. <laughs> <laughs>